Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 278 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. It is Carolina game week. We are bringing you the content. If you missed it yesterday, we had a fabulous interview with Brendan Marks of The Athletic, a UNC graduate who also covers Duke basketball. Really insightful stuff about this Duke-UNC rival, about this current Duke team, about the ACC in general. If you didn't listen to it, I don't know what you're doing. Listen to it. But you should also listen to this podcast because now we're going to get to do the UNC preview thing. Um, and before we do that, I have to introduce my partners in crime. Like I said, I'm Jason, Donald Wine in Washington, D.C. Donald, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. It's been a very, very long, busy day, but we have a lot to talk about. And later on, I'm going to talk about we, we had a discussion with Brendan about the NCAA tournament and kind of our chances of making it. I did some numbers crunching on how we can make the tournament and what we need to do to kind of get these results up. Deep tease. That is called a deep tease, ladies and gentlemen. That'll be coming to you later. Before we get to that, though, we have to bring in Sam Klein. How you doing, Sam? I'm good. I, what days this week have I not talked to you guys? This is, <laughs> what, this is what day of the week is it? This is outrageous. <laughs> Who knows? You know, it's been months since I, since I could confidently tell you what day it is. So it's fine. Yes. Well, I will tell everyone we're recording this on Thursday. It's Thursday afternoon. We are about 48, actually 51 hours, I guess, from the start of the first Duke Carolina game. And gentlemen, we need to jump right in to this contest because it's going to be a big game. And, and, and guys, I guess let's do, let's do it this way. Uh, earlier today, Coach K um, did a uh, media availability, which I was on, and we're going to play you some of the sound that Coach K did on that media availability, some of the things he said about this current team, some of the things he said about the Duke Carolina game. We're going to get to that in a minute, but we're going to start with our own assessments of, of Carolina and of the Carolina game. And, and guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead. I'm going to take host privilege, and I'm going to lead it off because I want to begin with some advanced metrics. I think that they are a good way of setting up for you exactly what this Carolina team is all about. And, and, and I'll start with this. It is the most obvious thing. It is something that you say about North Carolina every year, but it should not go unmentioned. This North Carolina team is a great rebounding team. They are number two in all of college basketball, the second best team in the land in offensive rebounding. They are 51st in defensive rebounding. That is really impressive. And that is because of their size. Ken Pomeroy says they're the seventh tallest team in all of college basketball. And it is a really good thing for them that they are great offensive rebounders because they are just terrible at putting the ball in the basket. In fact, sometimes it feels like what Carolina does is they toss the ball at the rim, and they know that if they miss, they're probably going to get the rebound anyway. They are a terrible shooting team. They hit just 30%, 30.2, 30% of their threes. They only hit 48.5% of their twos, which is not that good. And they're a bad free throw shooting team, just 66% of their free throws. All of these numbers way in the bottom half, sometimes in the bottom third, bottom 10% even of all teams in Division One, And when they're not shooting the ball, they're turning it over. They give up a ton of steals. Their steals allowed percentage is 328th in the country. That's bad. They're like 345, 350 teams in the country. They're only about like 20 teams that are worse than North Carolina at giving up steals. They also, because they're terrible at shooting, they don't shoot many threes. They're 335th in the nation in the number of threes they take compared to their twos. I want to get to the defense really quick. Shouldn't come as a big surprise. Good shot blocking team, this Carolina team. They are tall and they're good at blocking shots, about 50, 
50th in the country, 52nd in the country at block shots. As a result, teams don't hit a good percentage of two-pointers against them, but this Carolina team does give up threes. Their opponents hit almost 36% of their threes, which is a high, high number. And the last advanced stat that I want to go through is tempo. This is how fast a team plays, and I think this is really interesting because this is unusual. You don't hear about this very often. North Carolina has sort of an average kind of tempo because they play really fast on offense, 43rd in the nation in tempo on offense. They're pushing the ball. They want to get down there before your defense gets set. They want to run that Carolina fast break. But they are super slow on defense, 284th in defensive tempo. And what that means is they want to grind it out in a half-court game when you are on offense. But when they're on offense, they're out there and running. It's just an interesting dichotomy. You don't hear that a lot. Teams like Clemson and Virginia that play slow, play slow on both ends of the floor. Carolina, somewhat unique in that regard. Jason, what you just said is absolutely perfect. And I, the reason why I say that is I want people, if you have time between now and Saturday, go back and look at the first half of their most recent game against Clemson because that is exactly what happened. They got into a funk because they turned the ball over because they were going too fast on, on offense and on defense. They're like, no, nah, we'll just try and slow it down. And Clemson was like, yeah, no, we're going fast too. And they went pedal to the metal and they were beating them to every single ball. Now they can rebound. Like you said, they're very good at rebounding and they're very good at blocking shots, but it doesn't matter if they're behind you because you can't, you can't, it's very hard to block a shot when you are chasing someone. A lot of people could do it. LeBron could do it, but LeBron's not playing on Saturday. Some of these guys that are playing for UNC, they're not that great at doing that. So, so Donald, you, you just set it up for yourself. The other aspects that we're going to get to in this preview, Sam's going to look at individual players, but Donald's going to look at their results. D Donald, take us through it because that Clemson game, the most recent game, is a really important and significant result for them. Yeah, and, and like I said, they, they lost by 13 and it was one of those games where they kind of caught up at the end. It shouldn't have been that close, uh, but Clemson really, really came out the gate swinging at them. They were, they were banging on them all game long, right from the opening tip. They basically took a run and ran with it uh, in the early stages of the game. But one thing that's a, that they did against Clemson, Clemson made them take contested shots because like you said, they shoot, around 40% from the floor. The one game that they've had recently there where they shot well from beyond the arc was against Georgia Tech, and they shot 40%. They were 8 for 20. 8 for 20 is, is not great when you look at the numbers, but 40%, that's what you want to shoot as a team. Having said all that, we have to expect them to do 50, 40, 90, 50% from the floor, 40% from three, and 90% from the free throw line because as you can see, and anything can happen. So how do you beat them? Like Their biggest games that they've had other than uh, losing to Clemson. They lost to Texas, Iowa, NC State. Uh, Georgia Tech is probably the worst loss that they have. They also lost to Florida State. Uh, but they've beaten Syracuse. They've beaten Stanford. Those are their two biggest wins. The one thing that you got to do is you got to clean up the glass. They're a very good rebounding team. They always are, especially for their guys, because they try to go fast they always have trailers. So if they miss a layup or they miss a three-pointer in transition, they're going to try and tip it out. They're very good at doing that on the offensive end. And also, they play at a high energy, but they get out of control. So they turn the ball over a lot. Against, in, against Clemson, they had 18 turnovers. And a lot of those were literally just them going so fast that they didn't, like, they went on a fast break and they would lose the ball out of bounds. Or they would throw a pass that was to another guy on the Clemson side. So you want to make sure that they play out of control the whole game, because if they play out of control, they're going to give you the ball back. You're going to get more opportunities to have more possessions. And for us, 
Don't bite off more than we can chew. Let the game come to you because they're going to give it to you. They're going to give it to you at a certain point. And when you turn the ball, when they turn the ball over, take that and go with it. Don't let them have the upper hand when it comes to the tempo. We can control that tempo on Saturday because they're going to let us give get that opportunity, take advantage of it. So, so Donald, there's something you mentioned that I want to hit on, and it relates to what we were discussing yesterday on the podcast about Duke trying to make the NCAA tournament. North Carolina is in the same boat as Duke right now in that they need quality wins. They need to show that they are better than other bubble teams because, frankly, both Duke and Carolina are very, very firmly on the bubble at this moment. You pointed out their best wins are a home game against Syracuse and a neutral game against Stanford two teams that are probably on the outside of the bubble looking in at the moment. North Carolina can't afford to lose games like this game to Duke because they've got to, they've got to show they are better than the other bubble teams. Those, those wins saying to the committee, Hey, uh, we, we beat Syracuse at home. We beat Stanford in a neutral environment. That is not the way to convince the committee that you belong in the NCAA tournament. You need wins like Duke, like a win at Duke. This is a huge, huge game for Carolina because they don't have any results so far that say, put me in the tournament. Beating Duke at Duke is something that could put them in the tournament. And make, right. no mis- and make no mistake, this is a quality game for both teams, right? Like, it yes. doesn't matter how bad people think we are. It's the first time both teams are unranked in 60 years. This is a quality game. This is the biggest game on the college basketball schedule, hands down, period. This game is a quality game, and so we want that quality win. So we can say we beat UNC at home. We can say we beat them in the road. Whatever that is, that is going to be on our resume, win or lose. As much as I like listening to me and Donald talk, Sam is also on the podcast. (laughs) Theoretically, I'd say. Yeah. It is your turn, sir. Go for it. I want to talk. I want to go back and talk about Donald's assertion about how you beat this team and and how you, you put them at a frantic pace. Jason was talking about how... UNC wants to kind of slow you down, especially when they're on defense and you're on offense. And, and if you speed them up too much, they get, they get frazzled by that. And they don't, they, they have the, the Roy Williams big men, but they don't really have the Roy Williams point guard to, to run the, the Roy Williams offense and Amen. The they Williams really do style. That, yeah. And, and it's so funny the way that you were talking about that. Cause as you were saying those things, I was ticking off like, okay, who are the guys that exemplify those things? So looking at their roster, the thing that really stands out to me, honestly, is when you look at who's playing the most minutes for UNC, they're top, no one's playing 30 minutes a game for them. So they've got somewhat of a, of a deep rotation, which I think speaks more to the lack of overwhelming talent. Like there aren't guys that, that should be playing 35 minutes for this team. The guy who's playing the most for this team is Leaky Black at just over 29 minutes a game. And he averages six points, six rebounds, and two assists a game. They basically have a utility man who is who's their leading minutes getter. And Garrison Brooks is right behind him. Garrison Brooks, a very effective big man, averaging 10 and 7 this year, one of the best rebounders in the ACC, but not the over. He's not a Tyler Hansborough. He's not an Ed Davis. He, he's not one of those guys. We've we've seen him uh, have have strong games in the past, but but that is not that dude. So just looking at who's getting the most minutes for Carolina tells you a lot about that style of play. It leads right to it. Leaky Black is not a star point guard. He's not a Ty Lawson. Garrison Brooks is not a Tyler Hansborough. So so those are your two top minutes getters. Garrison Brooks, great rebounder. There are other great rebounders around them. Um, 
uh, Armando Baycott, who who we're familiar with from uh, from last year. This is his his sophomore campaign. And then uh, they have they have a couple of freshmen who are pretty good rebounders. Dayron Sharp has been performing really well for them. And then Walker Kessler's not getting as many minutes. I recall that we've spent too much time on this podcast talking about Walker Kessler because that was a recruiting battle that Duke and UNC were up against each other in. But Dayron Sharp has actually been performing pretty well for them. Uh, here in his freshman season was one of the one of the higher rated guys for them uh, coming out of high school. The highest rated guy on their team from a recruiting standpoint is freshman point guard Caleb Love. Uh, at least in the, in the of the freshman class, Caleb Love is the is the highest rated, and he is getting a lot of minutes at point guard, and he's kind of running the show for UNC. But talking about turnovers, he's he's only averaging three assists a game, and and just over three. Uh, turnovers a game. He's actually he's more turnovers than assists. He's a freshman point guard. He's basically you know he, it's like having freshman Bobby Hurley. Maybe not as talented, but but if if Duke fans can kind of remember what it was like, where you took the good with the bad with with these talented freshman point guards. Caleb Love is one of these guys. He's he's clearly talented. He's still trying to find his way in in the college game, and this yo, is a struggle for Carolina. Yo yo, Bobby Hurley averaged way more than three assists per game as a freshman, he <laughs> but he also talented. averaged a ton he of turnovers. He yes, I, yes, but it's the it's the it's the aspect of averaging as many turnovers as you do assists. That's the, that, and, and, and obviously it's a different time in college basketball, but, but Duke fans remember that, that Bobby Hurley was not without his turnovers and that it was, it was sort of a frantic uh, style of play for him. So uh, in a, in a very poor way, I'm going to make this comparison. I don't think Caleb Love is going to uh, set the national assists record or get his Jersey retired at UNC. Although, you know, the way that UNC does Jersey retirements, Maybe all Caleb Love needs to do is average six assists a game for 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 two weeks in a row, and he gets his jersey in the rafters. Basically. So, uh, all of that to say that this UNC team, just like this Duke team, is young and and not running the style of play that their coach would prefer. We know how Roy Williams likes to run his team. This UNC team can't run like that. Jason was talking about how the the pace is just not there for Carolina, and that all of that kind of adds up to. This UNC team is not as as overwhelming as they normally are. It, it looks more like last year's team than it does like a traditional traditional Carolina team, which is why we are going into this game with both teams really needing a win to to improve their outlook for not seeding in the NCAA tournament, but making the NCAA tournament. You know, the thing that strikes me about their roster, and you you alluded to this a little bit, Sam, is how young it is. Um, Ken Pomeroy says that they are the 322nd youngest team in the country. Now we know Duke is like 345th or something like that, but Carolina is one of the few teams that plays, you know, as much as many inexperienced guys as Duke does. Um, Leaky Black is a junior. Garrison Brooks is a senior. Um, they got a Andrew Playtech, who's a senior. Um, that's it in terms of experienced guys. Armando Baycott's a sophomore, but everyone And by else the way, those guys, those experienced guys, don't play the most minutes, right? Like right. Or, uh, other than Leaky Black, who is not super productive. Like he's a, he's a replacement, you know, he's a, he's a Dave McClure type player. You know, this is right. Uh, I'm, now, now I'm yeah. just throwing yeah. out, uh, now I'm just throwing <laughs> out comparisons from all across Duke history. Do you like how I'm doing this? <laughs> yes, that definitely works. But, but uh, the bottom line is this is a Carolina team that when they are successful, it is largely because 
their freshmen are playing really well. It's, you know, it's Kerwin Walton hitting threes. It's Caleb Love driving to the basket. It's Dayron Sharp killing you on the boards. It's RJ Davis playing that, you know, in between slashing kind of game. That's when this team is really, really successful. And it's really tough to do that consistently with freshmen. Duke has seen it this year. It's just hard to count on freshmen to be your team leaders. And there's one thing that they do is they're consistent at being inconsistent at what they're consistent about. What do I mean? You know, one day, Wait, they're... stop, stop, stop. Can you say that again? <laughs> I don't know if I can, <laughs> <laughs> but really what I mean is this, right? One game, they're really good at defensive rebounding. One, the next game, they're not as good at defensive rebounding, but they're good at offensive rebounding. Then they may shoot threes. Well, then they may have some steals. Well, and then maybe they're just terrible at, distributing the ball maybe they're terrible at turnovers maybe they're terrible at free throws but they always have something that they're pretty good at what are they going to be good at on saturday is the question and how do we minimize that and that on saturday but the other thing is what have they been good at recently because chances are you can count on them having a relapse and kind of regressing back to the mean in those categories like against georgia tech they were very good for shooting from the three and then Fast forward to Clemson a week later, bam, they can't hit anything. They can't hit water if they fall out of a boat. So what is it? What is that? What is, what are they going to be consistent at on Saturday is the question. How do we minimize that? That is something for the coaches. It's, it's just like us. We don't know what our identity is other than inconsistency. We have two inconsistent teams going on Saturday. Who's going to be good at what, and what is those X factors? That's what we're going to wait to see. Yes. And uh, what we are going to wait for now is a brief commercial break. We're going to be taking a break. And when we come back in just a moment, you're going to hear from Coach K, going to hear what he thinks about this upcoming matchup with Duke and UNC. Stay with us. All right, so welcome back. And, and it's time for us to discuss what Coach K said to us earlier today. I was on the news conference with Coach K. Um, where he was talking about previewing the Duke Carolina game. By the way, it, it is unusual for him to do one of these midweek news conferences ahead of a game. I think he really only does it for the Carolina game. Usually we, you know, we get a player, maybe we get an assistant coach, but it's not that um, often that we get Coach K on the, on the news conferences. So that sort of tells you how significant this game is. I mean, it's a Duke Carolina game. Am I actually trying to pump it up here? What the heck am I doing, guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the funny thing about that, though. Is, I know you're going to talk about this in a minute, but there's a missing element to this week in that normally, you know, he's doing this before the home game, but also before the home game, he's speaking directly to the fans, most notably the students. He'll go out the night before the game. Cavill's rocking and it's full of, it's too over capacity in Cavill. Everyone's having a great time. And then he'll come and give a, a prep, a pep talk about what the fans can expect to see on the court the next and day. This is, and this is, and he's one not of doing the years that. where, this is one of the years where the, the, the game is in the first weekend of February. So mm -hmm. tenting has only gone would in normal years. Tenting's only been going on for four weeks. So the students aren't as exhausted as they normally are. Like, right. This is the, this is the better time for, from the perspective of a student. This is the better uh, setup of, of having the, as, as early as possible as you can have this home game because everyone's still fired up and they haven't been sleeping on the ground for two months, just one month. Right, exactly. <laughs> as, it's two of us who led that. We know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> as somebody who as, did very little sleeping on the ground. Like, <laughs> as one of the people who invented it, I know what you're uh -huh. talking about. Right? Yeah. 
so uh, you guys did a great job of setting up the first piece of sound I want to play from Coach K. This is him talking a little bit about the atmosphere in Cameron and, and how it's going to be different because there won't be that energy. There won't be that crowd that we've seen in years past. So have a listen as he reflects a little bit on empty Cameron for a Duke UNC game. No, it's going to be weird. One of the, I think you know, I've coached in over 90 Duke, North Carolina games. And the ones in Cameron, what a, how lucky have I been to be able to walk out of my locker room and you come in and boom, the buzz, if, you know, the energy, you know, the, that you get from a crowd like that and it's, it's amazing. And what has to happen is we have to get a certain level of energy without that. And that's another goal that you have uh, uh, as a leader, in, you know, during, the, during this time is to get that energy up. It'll never be as, as up as it is with that crowd. It's impossible. It's, it's impossible. So he, he talked about, by the way, I, I sort of love, he talked about the fact that, that it's tough on, on the, the crazies. It's tough on the fans to not have this game. Uh, and he said, he, he, you know, he laments not getting to see all those fans out there. He had a great line where he goes, it's our little Woodstock. You know, that's what Kville is. And, and he was so sad that we're not going to have that this year. I think that's a very interesting point because we've talked about energy all year. There is no more energetic game for a Duke fan than the home. Even, even if you talk about Duke UNC away, there is no more electric game than Duke UNC at home. And it's not just for the players. It's not just for the students that are there or any of the 9314 that are lucky to have a ticket. It's for each and every one of us, right? Like, I, you know, this will be a time and the pandemic has affected all of this. We can't go out on the street and like walk around in our Duke shirts on game day and see someone else wearing a Duke shirt and give them a high five and be like, yeah, it's ready to go. It's, it's time. Go to hell, Carolina. We can't do that. We can't pack the bars. We can't, you know, gather in homes and, and do all the sort of things that we normally do where that energy can be felt all over the world. Like we have there's people in Singapore who are Duke fans that love this game and will get up in the middle of the night to watch this game and be together when they do it. That's all missing. So the energy thing is a very important intangible for this game. How do you recreate that? You can't possibly come close to it, but for these guys, they have to figure out a way to come close to it because that is the energy that they're expecting. That's the energy that's going to be prevalent on this court, no matter whether and whoever's in, in Cameron on that day and they have to figure out how to make that game as electric as possible without having the electricity there to guide them. I'm actually surprised that the program and the university have not made more of an effort. And I, I get a lot of the, you know, alumni mail and, and go Duke mail and whatever that comes into my inbox. And I haven't actually seen as much enthusiasm around the game this week as I would normally expect there to be. So maybe they they've got some idea for a, the viral pep rally or something coming up, but they but are doing I haven't one. seen it yet. So that's yeah. And w which is great. Uh, but, but like you said, Donald, it just can't be the same as it is normally. 
Yeah, so that's going to lead me to the next thing I want to get to from the Coach K News Conference. This is him. It's going to be a couple of questions of him talking about this team and the struggles he's had with this team. And folks, once you listen to this, I've got a lot to say about it. And I know Donald and Sam, you guys do too. There, there's some reading between the lines. Uh, pay attention to what Coach K has to say. Pay attention not only to what he says, but what he sort of implies, because I think there's some significant stuff that we're learning about the psyche of this team. Have a listen as Coach K talks about inconsistency and what he has to do to make this team better at it. A uh, couple days since the Miami game, and have you seen what you wanted from the team? Is there a response to what happened? I know it's still a couple days away from the game yet, but from, from the Carolina game, but uh, what have you seen so far? Yeah, I don't think there, I think you have a, there's a continuum uh, for a response. It's not just in one day. And, uh, and with our, with our team, even, you know, wins and losses, it's, you know, we got to continue to learn about one another, about why you win, why you lose, you know, uh, and you have to look at every experience and, and let them know. I didn't realize it, uh, and until this week, someone told me we're the fifth youngest team in the NCAA. And, uh, and that's not an excuse. It's, it's like what it is, is you have to coach that team differently. And I got to keep looking at maybe not going how I coached some other teams might not work with this team. It's, it, it, you know, like how do I – how do I keep getting a, a consistently positive, productive message to my, to my group? And, uh, and it, it, it's different. That doesn't mean they're bad or anything. It's just different. And, I, uh, and because I've been doing it so long, you, you, know, you, you know, going to work, you usually turn left at this light. Maybe you should turn right <laughs> or just always pay attention to the light. I should say, but uh, that—that's what we're going—we're going through. There's not one answer, Steve. To the, it's, uh, and just, we're just kind of continuing to work at it. Hey, Mike, uh, you sort of touched on what I wanted to ask you about about your approach because you made such a point about getting your message across. Right. I would imagine you do that. There's a—you don't coach every team the same anyway. But no. is there a difference in how you're having to sort of really rethink maybe your approach to getting them to consistently do what you want? Yeah, and it has nothing to do with attitude. It has to do with absorption of the message or an understanding of the message. And uh, you're, you know, I do a lot of public speaking at, you know, for the Washington Speakers Bureau for about 30 years now. And a big thing is understanding who you're talking to, you know, and what, what situation are they in. Um, you're, you know, when you have a younger group, they're in the process of becoming more than an older group. And so they change, they can change more during a season in how you, how you try to get the message. So, you know, people, you know, you know whether when they're evaluating a team and say, well, they lost, you should kill them and you should do this and do all those things. Maybe not. You know, they, they won, you should do that. In other words, you, you, you can go into what you, the habits of what you've always done. 
and what you've always done doesn't always work with every, everybody. So I, I can't uh, constantly uh, evaluate me during, during this time. And obviously some of it is what decisions you make during a game or why did you make that, but also in how you're bringing a team along, you know, and I, you know, with Steve's question uh, is a good one. And it, it's not just evaluating them, it's evaluating me. You know, how am I, how am I working with them? Yeah, you know, there's more of that going on this year for two reasons, at least two reasons. One is the nature of this year. And two is the, the, the youth of our team, the lack of experience. And we're constantly working on that. So uh, first of all, I, I love the notion of, you know, when you're, when you're at the light and you always go right at the light, sometimes trying going left and see if that works differently. Coach K is clearly trying different things with his team. But to me, the significant thing about all this is uh, we all kind of speculated after the Miami game, you know, we were talking about, Hey, should he, should he take away their Jersey? Should he lock them out of the, of the locker room? You know, what kind of psychological tricks can coach K employ? This was coach K telling you, I'm not doing psychological tricks because I've got to keep this team positive. I've got to keep them up. And I believe that this also falls back to leadership. Uh, Coach K didn't talk about it uh, on this news conference at all, but we're all very aware that there is no captain of this current Duke team. And I think in years past, Coach K could be hard on them. He could ride the team. He could, you know, take away things, make them run extra laps. Who knows what it is. If he had a strong captain who could then be a voice that brought everyone together and they bonded over that. And I think he doesn't have that this year. And as a result, he has to treat them differently. Usually he has someone who is sort of Coach K's voice within the team. And that doesn't exist now. And I'll, I'll tell you guys, you know, as you know, I've been doing lots of conversations. I've been talking to the 2001 national championship game, uh, national championship team a lot lately. And every one of those guys, when I talk to them, talks about how Shane Battier's voice, Shane and Coach K were like the same being that year. And that they would hear something from Coach K and then Shane would reinforce it. Or Shane would say things and they would know, this is us here. This is what Coach K wants us to know. There's no Shane Battier on this year's team. And I'm not talking about Shane Battier on the floor. Goodness knows there's no Shane Battier on the floor. There's no Shane Battier in the locker room. And that is so huge. And I think we had that in past years with Trey Jones, with Tyus Jones, with Grayson Allen. I think there were guys who were that for past Duke teams. We don't have it this year. And Coach K is treating them differently as a result. You're right on all that. And, and dare I say is unfair to you know try and relate to a Shane Battier, one of my mind, one of the great leaders in the history of this program. But we've mentioned from time to time that Coach K will never win a Coach of the Year award. Because Duke is always expected to be great. They're always expected to have these leaders, always expected to win 30 games and, and be in Elite Eights and compete for national championships. But right now, Coach is going through the most difficult coaching season ever. And it's not because of the record. It's because he has to adapt his style and philosophy in a way he's never had to before. You're right. There is no leader. So he can't be, you know, he can't bring out a samurai sword in the locker room and and, and not expect guys to be like, yo, what the hell is he doing, right? He's got to evolve. And he's talked about how he's had to evolve as a coach and, and a teacher and even just his approach to the game and how he adapts to each new team and new personnel. He probably thought a leader was going to emerge. So there was no point in discussing 
a leader that wasn't present because he figured it'll eventually emerge and then we can talk about it. You you remember a couple of weeks ago, he mentioned the fact after a game, he's like, yo, Wendell and Jordan had great leadership. He made a point to to emphasize that. And I think it was because he hoped that that leadership would emerge and go, hey, I like that feeling. Let's, you know, let's keep going. But it's clear now that one's not happening. So he has to do it on the fly. And it's not a lot of private interaction because of COVID and all this stuff. So you could tell this is kind of stumping him a bit. And it's not a good or bad thing. But the only bad thing is that the elements that are out there, all of, you know, a gesture at all of outside is creating blocks for him to really figure out the normal, like the normal avenues that he would navigate to try and make this a positive and fix it. He can't necessarily do all of those things. So it is, it's perplexing in a way, but it also makes a lot of sense given what's happening in the season that a leader hasn't emerged and he doesn't quite know how to adapt to that on the fly because that's what we're asking him to do. This is a basically a brand new challenge for Coach K as a very experienced coach who is usually able to instill this kind of, of leadership in his team, somewhere in his team, that he doesn't have a guy like this and that he is resorting, as you guys said, to to new tactics. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he, that he like openly acknowledged it because I do think that there's a tendency, not necessarily by, by coach K in particular, but by, you know, experienced older people to not admit that, that there's something different or wrong here. And he's basically, he, he, as, as directly as he's going to say, I made a mistake here. He did that in this press conference right after, you know, the three of us were talking about it yesterday with Brendan Marks and, so at least he's acknowledged it and he knows that he's got to take a different tack with this team than he normally does with, with other teams. Uh, Sam, uh, elaborate on that. What do you mean? What mistake do you think he made? I think that there is a, that there's a void here, be it from guys who have left early, which I, th- I think plays a little bit of a part, but, but not too much. Right. I mean, was, was Trey Jones supposed to be on this team? No, maybe Cassius Stanley was supposed to be here and, and he is older. Like, like, I would not be surprised if if Cassius Stanley was on this team this year, he would he'd be captain. likely be a captain. Oh, easily, yeah, because he's because he's twenty one years old, and so he's he's like the age of a senior, and so I imagine it would have been him. Wendell Moore and Matthew Hurt are are you know good players. Matthew Hurt has has become a great player for Duke this year, but they're just not those guys, or they're not them yet. So there's a little bit of of the kind of leadership void from from a recruiting and retention standpoint, but. I think that there's that there's more to it where maybe Coach K didn't react strongly enough to the pandemic and and players having to be home. We talked a lot over the summer about how challenging it was going to be, not just for freshmen who are coming in, but for everyone to get the reps they needed. You know, it's one thing for Matthew Hurt to get into the gym and put up shots every day and and put on muscle by himself, but he wasn't practicing with other players. So you can see all these elements of his game that have developed that are really individual, right? We're, we're very excited to compare him to Dirk Nowitzki uh, or, or Kobe Bryant or whoever, you know, all these, all these guys with great mid-range games. We're not comparing him to guys who are great passers or, or great zone defenders or anything like that. And, and meanwhile, on this team, you can see that, that the guys are struggling in that regard. So maybe Coach K is saying, look, I could have, maybe I needed to bring them back to campus earlier. Maybe I needed to have more practices. He's not going to, detail all of that but but there's an element of that there that that something is missing in maybe the way that they prepared before the season started I, and and just to play off your covid thing really quickly um it's my understanding that that the covid restrictions that duke has put in place don't just apply to these guys not 
going out, you know, to into the Duke community, it applies to them interacting with each other. That that they don't they don't spend a lot of time as a team doing team bonding activities. Uh, I think when they get meals, they are discouraged. They don't do like a big team meal together. They're discouraged from that kind of thing. Um, and uh, you know, not that these guys are literally alone in their room all the time, but they're kind of alone in their room a lot of the time. And uh, I, so I, I think it changes the dynamic of how the team comes together, how they know each other and the such. Uh, and, and I think it's a, a big thing that Coach K maybe didn't foresee how much it would impact their ability to build leaders, their ability to bond, their ability to come together as a team and play consistently together. Um, and and I, I, I think it's a fascinating thing that we're watching and we're watching how it's not working really well. Well, there's also like, I think one of the things from Sam's comment that stuck out to me was the fact that we, he mentioned that Stanley could have stayed, but he ended up going to the league. And if he had stayed, he instantly would have been a captain, not because of his, his ability or, or even the fact that he was an older guy that he's, you know, 21 years old. I think it's because he exudes energy in everything he did. It was very rarely where like, man, he just did not have energy tonight. Like, he, he may not have dunked on someone, dunked someone's face off, but he always brought energy every single game. He led through example. He led with his voice. He led with his, you know, just what he did. Everything that he, every, even in his interviews, they were like, yeah, it, I mean, when he talked, it was energetic. So we have, he had those instances where you could say, hey, clearly something has been missing from this year is something could have provided or at least gotten some of the team to kind of buy into where Coach K wouldn't have had to, Re, you know, readapt his sell job in that area. He could have had guys that are already on board. So I think that is a really big thing that's missing. And there's no bigger game where that needs to be present than Saturday, because the energy of that game is unlike any game in college basketball. A lot of our guys are going to experience that for the first time. For, but for those guys that have been in it before, the old version of it, I challenge them to be the guys that brings that old focus and that brings that old energy and says this is what a duke unc game is supposed to be like never mind there's not 93 14 in the stands we're gonna make this game like all the other games of old with that energy and it should be noted if there's anyone on duke who understands it it is wendell moore who yeah. last year had the winning tip in I, I i could not let this preview of the carolina game go by without mentioning that wendell moore broke the heart of every carolina fan in the world last year he knows about the energy that it takes, and I hope he'll be able to convey it to the rest of the he team. He knows that feeling. I, hope, I really hope that he can channel that because I really want him to have that feeling again. All right, so before we go, we want to come back to a topic that we've been talking about a good bit lately, which is how does Duke get to the NCAA tournament? Uh, just yesterday, we were chatting a little bit about Duke's resume and the fact that it doesn't have a lot of impressive wins on it. Uh, Donald, that inspired Donald to go out and do some research. Donald, what have you found? You dug into the numbers. What do they tell you? Yeah, so it, it, I thank you for giving me a lot more credit than I deserve. I went down a rabbit hole. It, it wasn't like, I was like, this is great. I should organize this. This was something like, huh, I wonder what these numbers actually look like as we were doing this discussion yesterday. So I did dig into these numbers. And really what I'm going to focus on is the net. And if you'll indulge me for a minute or so, uh, Duke is 66th in the net as of today. And if you listen to this later on, forget these numbers because they change literally every day. That's how constant the, the net is changing. Uh, but because of that, you kind of get a glimpse as to what we need to have happen for Duke to have a better resume today 
than they did yesterday, whenever that day is. Right now, Duke is 66th, and they go based off what they call quad wins, quadrant one, two, three, and four. It basically means, break it down simply, the better a team is, the higher the quadrant is, the, the better the strength of that win or loss. Losses can also be considered strong losses. So what we want are more quality one or quad one wins and quad two wins. We only have one quad one win right now. That is the away game against Notre Dame. It's not Clemson at home. It's Notre Dame away because the metric has it where that away game counts more than us beating Clemson by, you know, by a bunch at home. So we also are two and one in quad two wins, but those can change daily. If a team goes from uh, 31 to 30, their home, if you beat them at home, that home win that was a quad two, probably when it happened, moves to quad one. So why do I mention all this? We have a few games coming up that we need to focus on and some teams that we should hope raise up their game a little bit so that they can have a higher rating and we will be able to capitalize on that by creating a better resume. Those teams are UNC, Syracuse, and Georgia Tech. I'll start with those three because they're the three that if we can get them, their net into the 40s. Right now, they're in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. If we can get them into the 40s, if we face them in the ACC tournament, that win is a quad one win. Also, when we go to Georgia Tech and go to UNC, if we win those games, those will also be counted as quad one wins. And we want to have, again, right now, our quad one record is one and three. We want to make that where our record is obviously a winning record in that regard. So we can show the NCAA tournament committee, hey, if you put anybody in front of us, we are capable of beating them. You don't want to have a record that's one and seven because they're going to say, oh, there's no way if we put them up against the Wisconsin or we put them up against a Michigan or a Baylor that we should ever expect them to win. You want to show that, hey, there is an opportunity here. I'll even tell you this. We want Bellarmine. Remember Bellarmine? We faced them way back in December. It seems like years ago. We want them to get, right now they're 186th. We want them to get up to 160 or higher. That's a, that's a, a lot to ask, but that win can be a quad three win. We hope that Louisville can go up a 20 spots so they can become the win that we have if we beat them at home will be a quad one win. These things are what we want because if they move down, then our resume by the day changes so that it looks weaker. Even if we beat them when they were strong, at the end of the season, we want to look and say, we had all of these teams that we faced and they are quad one teams and we beat them because we are going up against teams that in the net right now, are ahead of us. Teams like Arkansas, Penn State, you mentioned Syracuse, you mentioned Stanford uh, earlier, Jason. Those teams, Colorado State, VCU, these are teams that are ahead of us. But when you look at their quad one wins, they may have more. Their records are bad and they have a lot of teams that are closer to moving down spots as opposed to moving up. We have some teams that if they just move up a few spots, they make our resume that much more better. So at the end of the day, all of what I just said means nothing if we don't win these games. Virginia, obviously, is a big one. That is a quality win. They're a top 10 team. But all of these other teams, let's not mistake any of these teams that we have coming up, like Notre Dame, NC State, U, uh, Syracuse, and Louisville, even Georgia Tech and both UNC games. If we can get these teams to win when they're not facing us, winning against them will be a whole lot sweeter and hopefully that'll be something that'll sway and compel the NCAA selection committee to have us on that bracket 
on, on selection Sunday above some of those teams that are on the bubble right now, a little bit further ahead of us. I usually make a point of not caring what anyone else is doing in the regular season. Like I really just want to focus. Like I, I like watching other college basketball yeah, games, it, but I really mm-hmm. just want to focus on Duke this year. You have to just put that aside. Duke is not a, you know, number one or number two seed. We are fighting for our lives. And so we have to give the amount of attention that, that is necessary to, to, to see that Duke makes it into the tournament. Yeah. And at the end of the day too, all of this means also, if we keep improving our wins and, you know, if we beat these teams and also Louisville, for example, if they run the table, except for losing to us, that bodes well for us. But also at the end of the day, we can say we have all these quad one wins. We have all these quad two wins. We don't have any, you know, as many losses in the quad three and four range, but we also are playing our best basketball in March. A lot of times they, sometimes you you see selection Sunday where they take out, you know, the RPI back in the day or even the net now and go, they're playing, they went 10 to no the last 10 games. You want that to happen, especially entering the ACC tournament. You want to make it so that you're playing your best basketball and you can provide a resume that says, I am better than these other teams that you're considering. This is Duke's path right now. And, and Sam, you mentioned it. It's something we've never had to experience before. But now people, we have to start rooting for some of these teams, not necessarily rooting for them to like, you know, you know, you don't have to say go Tar Heels. We're not doing that. This is a Duke, this is a Duke show. Go to hell, Carolina. But we do need some of these teams to play better when they're not playing us, because if they do, it will help us. I'm, I'm glad that you clarified that because I was about to take you to task for telling me I had to root for Carolina. <laughs> nope. We're not doing that. We don't, we don't, especially not this weekend. Uh, it, it is a crazy weird kind of situation that we're in, but that this is, this is where the weird pandemic world has put Duke and, and where Duke has put itself by, by losing some games that we probably shouldn't have. Um, but you know, there's still time. Uh, Brendan Marks didn't think there was time for us to make the NCAA tournament. I disagree with him. I actually still think that if we take care of business, if we beat the teams we're supposed to beat and, you know, we get a couple of these wins against, uh, the Louisville's, the North Carolina's, um, Virginia would be nice, but even if we don't get Virginia, I actually think if we, if we win a lot of these remaining games, we got nine games left. We go seven and two in those nine games. Duke's making the NCAA tournament, even if none of those wins are super, super impressive wins. Um, our record's going to be impressive enough at that point. But I'd still like for Duke to beat Virginia. Yeah, Just absolutely. I agree. Throwing it out there. And Jason, uh, Jason, quick note on that. Even if we don't beat Virginia, like you said, if we went seven and two over the last nine games, that takes us basically from where we are in the ACC standing seventh to maybe fourth. That's a big deal because it's very hard for the, for the selection committee to say, we're taking one, two, three, skip over us, five, six, seven, eight. They're going to take the top. If they're going to take six teams from a conference, the top four are usually the four that are, are locks to get in. We want to be in that top four to give ourselves a chance. And the last thing I'll have on this is it's easy to look at the schedule and look at the wins and say, oh, you don't have any super impressive wins. But... If you got a win over Syracuse, you got a couple wins over Carolina, you got a win over Louisville, you got a win over Clemson. None of those are like great, but collectively, they're pretty darn good. If you do that, then then the committee starts to say, well, you showed your quality. You showed that you deserve to be in the tournament. Because- and if you're comparing them, if you're comparing them, you're going to say, hey, you know, if, I'm, if you're comparing Duke and Syracuse, you go, well, Duke beat Syracuse. So why are we comparing those two? Done. Yeah. 
All right, so folks, that's going to do it for us here on episode 278 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Hope you enjoyed our preview of the Carolina game. Like we said, we will be back, obviously, to talk about the Carolina game after it happens, maybe immediately after it happens. Maybe we'll wait a little bit and cool off. I hope it's immediate. I hope that we are hopping on, that we are drunk and excited and having a good time Saturday night. That is the way it should be for a Duke Carolina game. But until then, you'll have to get by just on this preview. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us. Email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's how we interact with you guys, our fans. And for the guys, we are done. And for the band, it is your turn to play us home. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Yeah, go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. Man, we did not say that enough. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell. I mean, it's one thing, like, there's a lot of stuff that happens, but seeing Carolina in hell would make my weekend. That's just one of those things. So let's just let's just make that happen. That's just one of those good things. Is Carolina going to hell? I am in complete agreement with both of you.